This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Won't you open your Bibles, or actually, I'll just read it to you, don't worry. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verses 1 to 5. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We've been speaking over the last um, number of weeks about where we find ourselves in America today and what it looks like. And I'm I'm speaking more specifically about America because that's where we live. And things over the last number of years just seem so discombobulated. Everything seems topsy-turvy. And the things that used to seem so right all of a sudden seem to be wrong. And the things that historically used to be perceived as being so wrong are now being elevated and they're right. And everybody's caught in this, this state of flux and turmoil and trying to give definition to it and trying to understand where they are. And one of the biggest parties and players in this whole conundrum is the church. And it's really important for the church to give definition to who they are and what they stand for and to fulfill the purpose for which God put it into place. Patrick, you and I, we're going to the men's meeting and we're amening together. It's really important for us to be able to do that. I want to speak. I'm going to start something today and I'll carry it on next week because I couldn't get it into, into one week. But I want to talk a little bit about the church and I want to talk about our placement in the church, uh, in, in the world and why are we here and what the point of it is and what God has done in putting the, in the church into place and how it's important for us to understand that because if we don't, we run the risk of abusing it. If you don't understand the purpose of something, you run the risk of abusing it. If we don't know why the church is here, it's going to be abused. I'm going to talk a little bit about today about how it has been abused historically and how it actually facilitated the place where we find ourselves today. And it's a little bit disconcerting because unfortunately, the problems that presented themselves at an earlier date invited the church into a an attitude of conforming to what the world was looking for in an effort to try and reach the church, the world. And we got burnt by it. And I'm going to speak a little bit about that today and show you how we got burnt. The problem and the concern for me is that the church is doing the same thing today. The world has changed and the world is moving in different places. But with regularity, I turn around to see denominations and different churches being at a place where they're sitting and saying, we're here to accommodate and conform to the world. The church is not here to conform to the world. The church is here as the body of Christ on the earth. He is the head. So it's important for us that we understand with him as the head, he gives definition to who we are. Anyway, in all of that context, the point about it is this. 
it becomes really important for us to understand that Jesus was here. And when Jesus walked on earth, Jesus never made an impact because he blended in like everybody else. Jesus made an impact because he was different to the world. And the fact that he was different didn't necessarily mean that they liked him. Even people who saw value in him and liked what he was about and liked what he stood for found some of what he presented to them really hard. It wasn't there to tickle their ears. Jesus said, I've come here to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. And in the exchange of what you have for abundant life, it's going to make a demand on some of the things that you might believe. But you have a choice in that. The good thing about God is he always gives you a choice. He says, I've said stuff before you. Life, death, blessings, cursings. What do you want to do? And if you choose incorrectly, he will still never stop loving you, but he'll let you carry on the path that you've chosen. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he was looking for something. He was looking at Jesus and he was sitting saying, I like who you are. I like what I see. Everything about you resonates within me. I want that. And Jesus said to him, well, I'm so glad that you recognize truth when you see it. I'm so glad that you recognize abundant life when you see it. Here is the invitation. And he laid it out for him. And the rich young ruler said, I can't do that. He made a choice. What I want to talk today about in a greater context is choices. You can choose whatever you want to do. People in the world can choose whatever they want to do. So this is not about you. I love people. I love everybody, just like God loves people. What I want to do today is I want to approach it from the perspective of what choices are available to you and why some choices may be better than others. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me just tell you something. I have to apologize. (laughs) I forgot that we had a time change on the service. So last week, I thought I had tons of time. (laughs) And I just kept going and going and going. And it was in the staff meeting the next day. Everybody was like, why did you go on for so long? And I suddenly realized. So just ring the bell, okay? (laughs) At at about, what are we now? Um, 11.30. I'll be done. 11.30. Ring the bell. Okay, where are we going? Where was I going? Jesus says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's something really important in what he's presenting to us here. What he's saying is there is a consistent element to who I am. The wonderful thing about Jesus is he's based on something called truth. You know what's so wonderful about truth? It doesn't change. It doesn't corrode. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't deviate. And what was truth yesterday will still be truth today and will still be truth tomorrow. The wonderful thing about who he is is that he's the full expression of truth in all of its various contexts. We think we know what love is, but we really don't. We have a selfish disposition to love. He doesn't have a selfish disposition to love. He is true expression of authentic love. He is truth in all of its expressions, goodness and love and favor and blessing and glory and everything about him is truth. And the wonderful thing about that truth is that it always calls you up to something more. Every time you have relationship with him, the thing about it is he invites you into a more 
enlarged and a more fulfilled dimension of experience and life. That's what he's all about. True life. The thing about it is, we've been speaking about the fact that the progressive movement really is built on the foundation that where we've been and what has been about in history has really defined where we are right at the moment. But we're at a place where enlightened people are going to move beyond that space. We're moving into a, near, a new era called the post-Christian era. And in essence, what it's saying is we really don't need what informed where we were. We don't need those things that defined uh, the, the cultural ethic that used to define the existence in, in, in the place in which we found ourselves. But we can move into something new. And what I want to propose to you today is this. It comes with the inherent challenge that if you move into that space, you leave behind options. The moment you move to a place where you're sitting and saying, we can define what the future is going to look like to the exclusion of Christ. What you're saying is all the options that come with Christ are now off the table. There are certain things that we only get through Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the Savior, and he's to be the Lord. He is the one who's going to introduce you to what it means to live in freedom. When you're living in fear, when you're living in depression, when you're living in spaces where you feel I'm trapped in certain areas, the one who can take you to a place of freedom is Christ. The one who is your Savior is Christ. The thing about it is he doesn't just want you to live with an introduction. He wants you to get established in who he is. It's not enough to just have an introduction to Christ and to think that that's enough. The problem with it is if you live in that space, you're vulnerable. The invitation he always extends to you is this. I'm here to give you fullness of life. And so as I journey through life with you, what you're going to do is you're going to come to certain places where you're going to recognize your limitations. You're going to recognize your inabilities. You're going to recognize the fact that there are places in my life where there are hurts. I'm there to invite you into fullness and wholeness and healing and all that you can possibly be. He is there for that. It's not just about Savior, but it's about Lord. So when we get into the idea of buying into a, a post-Christian era, what we're really saying is everything that Christ makes available to me is suddenly off the table. What's left is me. From a personal perspective, it's a dangerous proposition. I need to have a geography textbook just to be able to pass geography. I need some guidance. I need some enlightenment. I need some understanding. I need Google ways to get me from point A to point B. Because I trust that and I don't trust myself in that context. And yet we have a proposition that says you can trust yourself to define your life. I don't know about you, but personally, I'd really like a manual. I'd like a manual because a manual gives me things that I can't get in any other place. I know men think differently. <laughs> we like to give it our best shot, first of all. And when we really don't succeed, then we ask our wife who comes with the manual. <laughs> but all too often, things don't work out the way that we imagine that they're going to work out when we left our own devices. 
Something happened to Paul, which was incredible, and we spoke about it over a few weeks ago. He, he was a guy who was on a road, and he suddenly met Christ. And in that introduction and in that moment, everything changed. Everything was transformed. And when they spoke to him about it afterwards, and when he communicated what happened in that moment, he said something very interesting. This comes from a learned man. He said, you know what? I spent my life developing understanding, developing knowledge, developing an ability to be able to build and structure my life, to put my life together so that I could walk it out the way that I thought it should be. And the funny thing was, in that moment of encounter, I recognized everything that I thought, everything that I believed, everything that I that constituted the way that I was to live my life became rubbish in the context of the encounter. What happened? Why was that encounter so important? Why was that encounter so valuable to him? What difference did that encounter make? Because you see, as Christians, we speak about encounters. As Christians, we invite people to live from encounters with Christ. Why are encounters important? You've got to have a manual. I used this example a couple of weeks ago. Sarah bought a new um, backboard for their basketball. And it came in about six and a half trillion pieces. <laughs> and you have to put the whole thing together. But the thing about it is, if you want to understand the mind of the maker... If you want to understand the one who created it, it's valuable because when you get into that space, it gives you the ability to be able to put together the dream that was put in, in all of those places. All the pieces that he's given you are to fulfill the dream. He gives you something called a manual. What it is, is me taking my idea, my vision of what it could be and writing it down so that when you follow the manual, you'll be able to create what it was that I was looking for. It's the same with Christ. When we move into relationship with Christ, the thing about it is he doesn't come with a manual. He is the manual. That's where people get it so wrong. They're trying to live their life according to what they think it should be. The point about it is, what he says is, I am the manual. That point where Paul met with him, suddenly Paul came face to face with the manual. And in that space, there was revelation. The manual began to reveal who he was to Paul. And in the impartation, in the opening up of this is who I am, suddenly Paul had a look at that and he recognized the fact that I've just come face to face with Emmanuel. And when I come face to face with Emmanuel, I recognize all of my attempts to try and put my life together. What a load of rubbish. Because I've met the manual. That's why we call to live from Revelation. You're called to live from revelation. Revelation is awareness and living from the place of intimate relationship with Christ. Living from that space where he is alive and he is dynamic. And you live in that place where on with regularity he begins to take aspects of who he is and open them up to you. And he, as he begins to reveal who he is to you, it's not just so that you can look at it and go, wow. We look at it and go, wow, which is closely followed by the invitation. Do you want to partake? 
Do you want something that can take you to a more expansive way of living? Do you want something that can get you to a place where it can free you from the places where you are? Do you want something that can take you to a place which is more fulfilled and which is transformational? That's the invitation. It only comes with the manual. It only comes with the manual. And when we don't have the manual, the challenge with it is we spend our lives guessing. Guessing. In this space, it becomes quite interesting because the wonderful thing about a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever is what he did for people of old, he'll do for you. The way he worked for people who are in the Bible, he wants to do the same for you. The question is, how much do you want it? Do you want it at all? You see, a progressive movement says, we don't need that on the table. We don't want those options. Leave it up to me. I can just define who I am. I can go and I can put the backboard together without the manual because I'm enlightened. Because I've progressed. Because I'm beyond that space. Moses was aware of God, but he never had an encounter. And he did things that he thought was good, were good. And he tried to live a life that he thought he was supposed to do. And he tried to fulfill the purpose that he thought he was supposed to fulfill. Unfortunately, he found himself almost killed and thrown out and on the backside of the desert. And he's living in the backside of the desert until he had an encounter. And you know, it's so amazing. He has an encounter with God at the burning bush. And the first thing he begins to tell God is why God shouldn't use him. And every time God says, this is what I want to do, he says, but I can't do that because this is who I am. But I can't do that because I can't speak. But I can't, I can't, I can't. And what does God say to him? I am that I am. Do you know what he's saying? He was saying to Moses, every deficit that you have, every area in your life that you see vulnerability, every place that you feel as though you can't compete and you're not capable, all of those spaces are more than enough. The invitation to, that Christ extends to us to live from him, the invitation to die is not one which is something we should fear. It's an invitation to life. What he's saying is, if you're prepared to put to death the inability, if you're prepared to crucify the fact that I'm hooked and I have an addiction, if you're prepared to put to death the depression, I'll give you everything that you need because I am it. It took a little while, but Moses started to get it. But when Moses started to get it, there was something so important that happened. The moment that he started to understand who he was, not separated from God, but in the context of God, all of a sudden something happened and God said, now let me tell you about your purpose. This is what I want you to do. Why was that important? Because in yourself, you'll never fulfill what God's called you to do. Your life is full of deficits, inabilities, lack. You can't do that stuff. In your own ability, you don't have what it takes. So that's why he calls us to come to a place where we have revelation, encounter, 
Because in that space, he sits and says, let's see what we can do. It's about the we moment. It's not about the me moment. When you step into the we, all of a sudden what ends up happening is purpose begins to open up. And I recognize the fact that I can do some stuff with him, but in my own ability, I can't do that. What made Moses separate from everybody else in Israel was they lived at the bottom of the mountain and he went up to the top to meet with God. They sat in bondage and he met with God at the burning bush. Things will happen in your life when you meet with God. The challenge with it is there are too many people who want to live at the bottom of the mountain and they don't want to take the time to go up and have an encounter. The challenge is this. Moses had the encounter and you are transformed in the encounter. But unless you have an encounter, all you can do is give people a synopsis and an understanding of what you had. It doesn't change them. The invitation for us is to live from encounter. I'm telling you all this stuff because I want to set a platform for what I'm about to tell you now. Something strange is happening in the 80s early 90s and there was a shift that was beginning to happen spiritually and there was a move that was beginning to happen and what people began to recognize was that society was becoming more secular society was more secular and it was interesting because it was a different place because in certain spaces where you go into, um, whether you go to Asia or Africa or South America, there are places you can go into which have never been exposed and have never had the opportunity to meet with Christ. And so it's a different missions field. But what happens was in this space, people were aware of Christ, and yet what ended up happening was they weren't coming to church. They weren't coming to Christ. And so there was a look at this and... and there was a move to try and understand how we could get to a place where Christ could have more relevance to that community. And so what ended up happening was people started looking at it and saying, let's, let's adopt a missions model when it comes to America. Let's see if we can go out there and basically we'll, we'll view it as a missions field. And the way that we're going to bridge the gap between those people who are believers and those people who are not believers is by something called relevance. Relevance. What we can do is this. Why don't we go out and why don't we put together a church model that is very inviting to the unchurched? So what we'll do is we'll, pre we'll create a comfortable space. We'll create a, a, a space that is non-threatening, a place that's very inviting to the unchurched. And what it resulted in was a new model of Christianity called the seeker-friendly church. 
And people got so excited about the seeker-friendly church because all of a sudden we believed that we had a different model and a different way of approaching this, this set of society. There was a way that we could have relevance in that society, the way that we could connect with that society so we could create a comfortable transition so they could come from the world and they could come into the church and in that space things would happen. It was kind of built on the whole idea of let's get some demographic research and then let's do some community surveys and then what we'll do is we'll understand what people are looking for. And when we know what people are looking for, what we'll do is we'll construct a church that looks just like that. It's kind of the whole model. If you build it, they will come. And we fell into the trap. Not we. Some churches fell into the trap and they forgot about the fact that church isn't about the people. Church is about Christ. And you don't take the body and start to conform the body to the world. What you do is you take the world and transform it into the body. And so we started to make a fundamental mistake in what was happening there. And all of a sudden, we started to come up with what, you, what is perceived by some people as being the progressive church. The progressive church kind of said that we had old church models and we had old church thinking and we had antiquated ways of doing it. But in order to adapt to the future and in order to adapt to where society is and where culture is, we needed to move into a new space. We needed to move into a new way of doing things. The challenge with it was this. In becoming relevant, we compromised who we were, and at the end of the day, we never had significance. The challenge with it was this, we weren't different to the world. The church looked like the world. You could come in and you could be comfortable. Jesus never made people comfortable. He was never ugly to people, but he was always different because he stood for truth. And in that context was the opportunity for people to make a decision about what it is that they wanted to do. How it is that they wanted to live their life. But he never pursued relevance. He always stayed consistent. Same yesterday, today, and forever. What concerns me about so much of the church today is I see so many churches falling into the same trap 30 years later. Society is shifting and changing all over again. And what do we have? Well, we need to be all embracing. We need to be loving. We need to be accepting of every ideology, not people. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you believe. I don't care how you dress. I don't care how many piercings you have. I don't care where they are. If you want to come in here, more than welcome. We're all about people. I love people. But what we are fundamentally about is Christ. Amen. And in that context, all I can offer you is truth. All I can offer you is who he is. And I don't intentionally mean to create friction. That's not my point and it's not my ambition. But the point is in that context, it may rub you wrong way. What do you want to do? It's not up to me to live your life. It's up to you to make a choice. Because the thing about it is you have to live with it. Yeah. 
We have churches today. They've forgotten that they're the body. And they're so bent on conforming to what the world looks like that you can't tell the difference between somebody sitting in the pew and somebody sitting at a football game. It looks exactly the same and sounds exactly the same. That's not who the body was called to be. We are Jesus on the earth. We are different. And we're different with intention. So with this model, certain things started to take place and certain things happened. And one of the things that began to happen was that the church began to deconstruct in certain ways. First of all, it started to deconstruct theologically. Well, you know, we don't really want to speak about that stuff because it's not comfortable to the unchurched. And so our doctrine began to get diluted and sometimes even just thrown aside. We'll just hide it under the table here, just while everybody comes in. We won't pull it out because you might find it offensive. Our theology, our orthodoxy, this is who we are. This is fundamentally what we're all about as the body of Christ. This is what we hold to. These are the tenets that are true. But we began to dilute a lot of that stuff and let go of it. And church form began to shift and change all of a sudden. It became about contemporary music. And do we have lights and do we have smoke machines? And the way that we do church has to change all of a sudden because the entertainment factor and the fun factor become so much more important because we did our research and we checked the demographics and we understand that the community wants to be entertained. Some churches did some things, and some churches did everything. And it never worked. Let me tell you why the model was flawed. First of all, the model was flawed because biblically, it's out of line. You see, the challenge with it is this. It's based on the idea that people who are born-again believers need the Bible. They need the Word of God. But people who are unchurched need a pithy sermon. Let's invite them in and let's keep them entertained and let's have fun and let's watch a video. And that's not what God's all about. It's all about the word, the word, the word. Christ wants to be manifest in your life. Christ wants to introduce himself to you. It's in the faith that's established in who you are. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It's the word of God that should be preached, whether you're a believer or a non-believer or somewhere in between or anywhere else you want to be. It's the word that changes people. We don't have set groups that some need the word and others don't. The challenge with it was people who were born again, people who were looking to grow, people who were hungry for growth came in and they were looking and they were sitting saying, but where is the spirit? We don't have the spirit because you see it might be offensive to some people. But do you ever speak in tongues? Lord, no. <laughs> if an unbeliever had to hear that, could you imagine what they would think? What about some of these hymns? 
Yes, they might be old, but man, they resonate with me and they touch the very foundation of who I am. And boy, they get me to a place where it just makes me jump up and want to worship who he is. No, 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 it's a little too deep. We're trying to keep it, let's keep it light and fluffy. There's no feeding. But you can get it in small groups. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You see, the challenge with it is, you get what you fish for. So if you want to fish for the unchurched, don't be unhappy when they're unsatisfied with the idea that you want to all of a sudden become churchified. You want to fish for the unchurched. You want to create an environment for the unchurched. But it's really a bait and switch. Because once you get them in, then all of a sudden you want to be, okay, now let's get you into some deeper stuff. And it's like, you never promised me that. You promised me fun and entertainment and contemporary music and community and connection and all the fun things. You never said anything about having to die to self. You get what you fish for. Groups is the answer. I'll tell you what. If you're a mature Christian, what we'll do is we'll have fun, happy Sundays, light and fluffy for everybody else. But what you can do is you can go into a group. And what you'll do is in a group context, you'll be able to grow and you'll be able to mature. But a group is not church. A group is not church. You see, the problem with it is you go to a group and whoever the group leader is, is sitting around and while you're all socializing, eating your cookies, they're sitting thinking about what they should be speaking about that evening. And usually what it means is, okay, let's all sit down and I'm going to read these couple of verses. And at the end of it, it's followed by the question, so what do you all think? I don't like what do you all think? Not because I don't think people don't have an opinion, but because with respect, your opinion doesn't matter. We are not here to be led by people's opinion. You're here to get together with the Holy Spirit. You're here to get a revelation from an encounter. You're here to get something which is spiritual and inspirational so that when you impart it to somebody else, the Holy Spirit has something to work with in their life, to bring about change, to bring about transformation, to bring about newness, to bring about expansion. Your opinions don't get that. Groups are not church. So we sit in our nice little groups, and our little groups are usually defined by demography and geography. So me and all the people in my neighborhood sit together. That's not church. Church is young and old, and men and women, and black and white, and rich and poor, and educated and uneducated, and everybody coming together in a space where we sit and say, what can happen today? In the collection of who we are, what is Christ about today? What is the Holy Spirit going to invite us into? How is he going to touch my life and transform me in this space? How is it that I'm never going to be the same when I leave this? That's church. But fundamentally, the model just doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
When you begin to explore it and you begin to scrutinize it, when you begin to dissect it, what you discover is there are very, very few, if any, examples of unchurched people who came in and met Christ and whose lives were transformed where they stepped into newness, where they stepped into transformation, where they stepped into to, to expansion, where they stepped into it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, where they step into a place where I once was blind, but now I see, where they stepped into a place where it's like, you know what, that's who I used to be, but let me tell you who I am today. Why can't I get there? Because I'm never fed. You don't live off bubble and froth. At some point, you've got to have some meat. What the seeker-friendly church did was it became a space where people who were unhappy in their churches found contemporary music, a shorter sermon, and a short church service. Most of those churches were not filled with unbelievers. They were filled with people who were happy with a comfortable life with God. Happy-go-lucky. It was dangerous. Now, this is the point I'm getting to. After all of that, I have got a point. (laughs) This is the problem with it. It created a culture, and it created a generation of people who bought into laissez-faire Christianity. Ah, You know, that may be good for you. Not so sure it's good for me. You may believe in that as truth. I'm not sure that I kind of see it that way. I was invited, Sarah and I, to a function at a particular church. And after church service, and you get to go and spend some time in the pastor's lounge. And So we ran into this couple who were in a leadership position in this church. And it was so interesting talking to them. They were probably in their late 20s. And they were talking to us and they were said, you know, we're not getting married. We're like, oh. He said, no, no, we're just going to live together. He's like, you know, we, we love each other and that's okay, but we don't necessarily have to go through the formality of marriage. We created a comfortable culture, laid-back Christianity. It's okay. It's easy. What works for you? It doesn't work for me. It's okay. We all love Jesus. More bubble and froth on Sunday. We thought it was okay because we didn't know what was going to happen down the way. We thought it was okay, but we didn't realize that we'd fallen into the trap and the Enemy goes around seeking whom he may devour. And the problem with it is you begin to recognize the fact that an introduction to Christ is not enough. You better be established because the storm is coming. The storm is coming. And the storm is going to hit. And what's going to sustain you is not what you think and not your ideology and not your culture. It's going to be whether you're established on the rock. There was a storm brewing. There was a storm brewing. There was a storm brewing in society, and things started to change. 
And a few years ago, it reached a place where it wasn't about casual, laid-back living anymore. There was a polarization that happened in the country. There was a division that took place. And people ended up going to the left, or people ended up going to the right. But there were very few left in the middle anymore. All of a sudden, society shifted, and the storm came in. And what ended up happening was, there was a seed that was planted. And the seed was this. The world is a place of hate. The world is not a good place. But you know what? We are going to change it. Amen. Oh, no, no, don't amen just yet. You don't know who the we is. I'll tell you who's going to change it. Those people who are enlightened. Those people who are progressives. Those people who live and read enlightened reading. Those people who eat good, healthy, organic food. <laughs> Those people who have the right political persuasions. Those people who mix with the right enlightened groups. You can be part of changing the world. You can be part of creating a utopian society where everything is fabulous, where we can take what currently exists and we can take this world of hate and we can create something new. We can create heaven on earth just without the king. It was a vision that was cast to people. And it was something that was extended to people who were spiritual with the invitation to take them into a social realm and make them feel as though that they were Lord in creation. So what it is, is you can be part of the social justice movement. You can be part of creating this new dream of what all of the world can be like. You can be at a place where you can be part of, of moving to uh, racial reconciliation. You can be at a place where you can participate and be into love. You know, the acceptance of everything and everyone and everything that everything's all about because we're creating a new world. You can be part of deconstructing those, those fragments of where we used to be and what used to constitute society, those cultural ethics, those traditions that have been inherited, things like family and definitions of genders. We can let go of all of that stuff and deconstruct it because you're a person who's creating a new world based on inclusivity. It was a dream that was presented. And the problem with it was we had a whole generation of people who were not established. And they didn't recognize spiritually that they were being sucked into a social equation. 
It's not that anything fundamentally was wrong with that apart from the fact that there was no Christ in the mix. The challenge with it has been this. What ends up happening is it moves us to a place where what, what, what happens is we speak to people about the fact that you can have the promises that God has made just without being connected to the church. Just without the responsibility that goes on your will. Just in the context of no Christian sexual ethic. It's very enabling. And it sounds so great because it puts me at a place where I am every day being part of creating this new future. It was very tempting and very tantalizing to a lot of people especially younger people who were part of the church. The problem with it is they weren't established. They had, a, uh, they had an introduction to Christ, but they weren't established in Christ. And so what ended up happening was they started to make the transition from the church into not some existentialist movement that never had any belief, but a movement that was about, you know what? I've evolved. I'm enlightened. I'm progressive. It comes with accolades. I used to be part of the old world. I used to be part of the old thinking. I used to be part of where things used to be. But all of a sudden, I'm enlightened now. And so I'm on this move to change the world. I'm on this move to contribute, to make a new society, this new utopian environment. And you know what? We don't need God to do that. We can do it on our own. Which means that the new conversion story in America is really a deconversion. I used to be part of organized religion and I was devolving. But then I became enlightened and I became progressive. And now I'm in a new place. I don't need God anymore. Me and my other enlightened buddies are going to create a new utopia. It's the religion of the moment. And I finished seven minutes early. <laughs> I want to sp- I'm going to carry on next week about the religion of the moment. And I w- I'm going to get into next week more about what the church's role in all of this is. Please understand me. If we fundamentally were to live from what Christ offers us, we create the world that the world is looking for. The challenge with the progressive movement is that they are laying out an idea and making people feel as though they are part of a movement where they can realize the fulfillment of that dream to the exclusion of God. There is an, a, a, a a culture that's being cultivated and seeded and fertilized that Christ and church are passe. It's old. But if you're part of the enlightened group, you can do some stuff. It's the attraction, especially to the younger generation. Anything to the exclusion of Christ puts you in trouble.
I'm going to talk a little bit more about the church and the church's role and who we to be and how we to navigate the space and to be careful that we don't fall into the traps that they fell into 30 years ago and what they created as a result of that, which really set up the storm right now. Father, we just want to thank you for every person. I want to thank you, Father, for your love for each individual here. I want to thank you, Father, that you are more important than anything. You are more important than where we come from, than what we look like, than anything that constitutes us physically. And what binds us together and what keeps us cohesive is the fact that in one another we see Christ. We see him. I want to thank you, Father, that you are the focal point of everything. And I pray that in our life and in our life's decisions, you will keep us focused on the fact that you are number one. You are the beginning and the end. You're the Alpha and you're the Omega. I want to thank you that in all the decisions that we make and in all that we do, I pray that we strive to find your direction and your leading and to get our lives established on truth. I pray, Father, that you will use us in a meaningful way by creating opportunities for us to show, sow seeds of love into the lives of people. I pray that you'll create opportunities for us to introduce to people the idea that they have options. Give us the courage, I pray, to be different. Let us stand out in our world, not because of who we are or because of how loud we shout, but because you resonate. We bless you for it now.